You can open your Bibles to John chapter 6. Um, today we're not going to be continuing with our study in the, in the minor prophets. Um, due to it being Christmas season, a lot of people being out of town, I thought let's not continue with something that some people may be following specifically as well. And um, also the Lord laid this on my heart, especially after Francois' message last week about who is this child? Who is this child, Jesus? And if you didn't get that sermon, I would encourage you to listen to it. It's really um, a good message about who Jesus is and um, Him being the creator, Him being the sustainer of life, Him being God in the flesh and what that means for us and all of that. So Jesus, obviously around this time of the year, Jesus is very much seen as uh, a baby <laughs> in a manger. But um, He is... God of the universe, and his um, intent was not obviously to remain that little baby in the manger. It was to be this man, the savior of the world. Um, and that's sort of what led to this message is the message that I want to, us to work through today is why Jesus came. Why Jesus came. Now, that we're going to go through a few things um, as to specifically why, why Jesus came, but I recently attended a wedding where someone sort of preached on or mentioned why Jesus came. And his reasoning was Jesus came to bring peace on this earth and that Peace is something that every Christian should experience on this earth in the, in the physical kingdom type way that Christ is ruling and you should have peace physically. I'm not talking about a spiritual truth. I'm talking about physical truth. But he also went on to say that this physical peace is something that God has given to only certain people and you may not even know that God has given you this peace. And I listened to that and I, I thought to myself, to the people sitting there, what do they have to do with that information? If I have nothing to do with the fact whether I have peace or not peace and God has given it to me arbitrarily and I may not even know that God has truly given it to me, why am I even listening to what you're saying? Because I can't do anything about that. And so... Jesus came to bring peace, but it is not the type of peace that we may want to see in the world where there's no wars and all of that. That's a future state that, where Christ is ruling and reigning, and then there will be peace. And the spiritual peace that we can experience as Christians in our hearts will become a real peace that we can enjoy where He is ruling, not just in our hearts, but physically on this earth. So there is that peace, but Jesus did not come to bring that peace when he came back 2,000 years ago. Now, Jesus, however, is a peacemaker. And he encourages us to make peace. But that is a peace with God. A much greater peace than whether there are wars in the world or whether you are on the receiving end of something that is aggressive or something that is not, um, not physical peace. He came to bring peace between you 
and God. And I don't want to get into the, the theological discussion of what this, this reverend was speaking about, but know that there is this peace that's coming, but it is not the primary reason Jesus came. But Jesus coming had a significant difference in the world. Jesus came, and we know that Jesus' coming essentially divides history. You have before Christ, and then you have the years A.D., which is after Christ. But even in science or even in modern philosophy, they've tried to take Christ out of the way we denote time. It's no longer B.C. and A.D. It is B.C.E. and C.E., which is before the Common Era and the Common Era. They have taken Christ even out of our divisions, but they can't take the fact that Christ is the dividing line. They divided the history. But Christ divided history. Christ also, I mean, Christianity stemming from Jesus' coming has been a world religion and currently statistically the biggest world religion for the last 2,000 years. Now, whether those people are truly saved is a different discussion, but Christianity, Christ being understood or being preached has been has influenced the entire humanity, especially the Western world in which we live. Oh, thank you. It's not living water, but it's... <laughs> I'll never thirst again, eh? Okay. Now, I think Jesus came for a much bigger reason and for more than just one reason, and I think it applies directly to us. It changed the course of history, and it should also change the way we live, not just in the fact that we need to be saved, but the way we look at life, the way we conduct ourselves, and how it applies to us in our everyday life. So in John chapter 6, John chapter 6 and verse 38, we read this. Jesus is speaking, and he says, John 6, 38, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So Jesus came down from heaven, not to do his own will, but the will of him that sent me. Now, that's the overarching, I want to say, theme of today's sermon, is that doing the will of God, that is why Jesus came to do the will of the Father who sent him. Now, what does that will break down into? What does Jesus say God wanted him to come do? And those are the five points um, that I want us to, to look at today. But before we get into those five points, let's just ask the Lord to help us through this. Lord, I, I pray and I ask you, Father, that you would please be, be with us this morning as we go through this, this lesson, Lord, this to understand why Jesus came. We thank you so much, Lord, that you love this world so much that you gave your only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And Lord, that is a, that is a great gift. But Lord, we want to look at the details. We want to see what specifically you want us to know about Jesus coming to this earth. Please come teach us, Lord. Come, come touch our hearts. Um, help us to use this. Help us to live according to this in our daily lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a while ago, or I'm not sure how long, I know I was quite young, there was this thing going around, what would Jesus do, right? And there was a little bangle that you wear around your arm saying, what would Jesus do? Now, I had one of those. Um, but growing up, I, I thought more about it, and I almost want to say, 
it should rather read what did Jesus do, not what would Jesus do, in the sense that we have something where we can actually study the life of Jesus, how Jesus spoke, what Jesus did, how he reacted, and we can actually say, what did Jesus do? To sort of leave it open to what would Jesus do, it's sort of like, what is my spiritual interpretation of what the character of Jesus is and what Jesus would have done? It sort of still not really gives you that definitive answer, that definitive line. Now, that's sort of what I want to do. Jesus made a few statements where he said, I came, I came. And that's what we want to look at. I came. Why did Jesus come? Now, first of all, um, we can turn to Matthew chapter 5, but Matthew chapter 5, but I want to ask you, why is this of significance? Why is it of significance to see or to understand why Jesus came? I think the first reason is he came, as it says in 1 Peter 2, that came to give us an example that we should be able to follow in his footsteps. So if Jesus came and he said, I came to do this, then at least there's something for us to emulate, to strive towards. So there are certain things, I think, in, in that sense, that example. But Jesus also came to accomplish certain things. Now the question is, did he accomplish this in your life? Jesus came to accomplish things. He came for specific reasons. Has he accomplished those reasons in your life? So as we go through it, ask yourself, is this true of my life? It could be that your faith seems empty or you don't see the full purpose in living as a Christian because you don't really understand why you are a Christian or what is the significance of Jesus coming so to understand that may help you in living a fulfilled um, Christian life in your pursuit of Jesus. So I hope that that would be the case today. So in Matthew chapter 5, the first reason we're going to look at, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. Uh, I think I said 7, but it's 17. 17. Matthew 5:17. Let's read that together. It says, "Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am come not to destroy, but to fulfill. I am come not to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill. To fulfill like a like a contract. It means you have completed all the legal requirements that were set out by that contract." So if you see the law and the prophets, or the law as this, this contract, this covenant that was set up between God and His people, and Jesus came and He said, I came to fulfill this. I came to complete all the requirements of this law. That is why Jesus came to fulfill the law. The legal requirements that we could not fulfill ourselves. There's this contract that's in place and says, you will live like this, you will not live like this, you'll do this, you will not do that. We failed Regardless of our attempts at fulfilling this law, of doing what this law requires of us, we cannot do it. The standard is too high. The, 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 what, the law, what this contract requires is too strict. So Jesus came and he fulfilled this contract as it is stipulated in the law. But Jesus also fulfilled the prophets. Now what that means is that there were certain things that were said by the prophets, certain statements that were made, certain prophetical things that they saw in the future, and they said this king, this Messiah, will 
live according to this. He will be born in Bethlehem. He will be born of a virgin. He will be of the line of David. He, he will, the, the soldiers will part his garments. These things will happen. And Jesus fulfilled all those things that were said by the prophets. So the law, the requirement of the law is fulfilled by Jesus, but also the prophetical aspect of who Jesus is to be, who this Messiah is to be. Now they are, I don't, don't have them all here, but you can definitely look them up yourself or I can send them to you if you want them. But there are over 40 prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled. 40 prophecies. And there are more still to be fulfilled. But all of those things were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus says, I came to fulfill the law and the prophet. That does not mean that the law no longer exists. And what it means is that contract is no longer in effect to those who have fulfilled the law. Right? If you've completed the requirements of that contract, then it's no longer applicable to you to keep. Right? And so if Jesus fulfilled that on your behalf, if it's what's called the substitutionary atonement, he becomes the substitute. He takes your place and fulfills that law in your stead, then you are under no obligation. You're not bound by that law. But it doesn't mean that law does not exist anymore. That law is still in effect. And so we live according to God's law not to obtain some sort of righteousness, but because Jesus already obtained the righteousness required by the law. And that is the wonderful gift of Jesus Christ, to fulfill that law, that, that thing that was held against us. He fulfilled it. But if Christ has not fulfilled that legal requirement in your stead, then you are still legally obliged to fulfill that. And so that that's, brings us at a crossroad. Are you trying to fulfill the requirement of God, that contract, so that you can be in right standing with God? Because if that is your attempt, it's a futile attempt. You've already broken the law, and there's no way that you can continue living in accordance to God's contract, if I can put it that way. Christ came. He took that place. He fulfilled the law. And then He offers it, and He says, I fulfilled this law on your behalf. Do you take this gift? You cannot fulfill it, but I have. Do you take this gift? And if you do not, you are under that law. Now, Paul speaks about the law because a lot of people are thinking then, what, is the law evil? Is the law of no effect? No, he says the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law brings us to Jesus. And it says, you cannot do this. You cannot live a life that is free from lying, free from stealing, free from, a, from fornicating, free from having lustful thoughts. You, you cannot do that by yourself. And Jesus says, I do it. I did it on His behalf. But if you have not been brought to Jesus by the law, then the law has not had its full purpose in your heart. And so I want to ask you, look to the law, not for your salvation, but for understanding your need for that salvation. Look to Jesus. Because without that law, or without Jesus, you are under the law and you are in need of a Savior. 
Something else that I think is important under this point is that if prophecy of the Old Testament was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, but there are certain prophecies regarding Jesus Christ that have not yet been fulfilled, I think because the majority of them have been fulfilled in the life of Jesus, I have grounds to say that those few that still need to be fulfilled will be fulfilled. And what are those prophecies? Those are the prophecies that Jesus will be returning. But when He returns, He is not returning in the way that He came the first time. And He will be bringing a sword. And He will be separating the wheat from the chaff. And He will be making sure that there is peace, but unfortunately those who disrupt peace need to be taken out the way. And so Jesus is coming again. And so that prophetical fulfillment still plays a part in the way you look at life. Do you live with the understanding that Jesus is returning? But there's a great hope as well for those who are in Christ. You will be coming down with Him, but for those who are not saved, it also has an implication on your life because you will be on the receiving end of God's wrath. Right now you can be on the receiving end of, of His grace and of His mercy extended through Jesus Christ. But without Him, you are on the receiving end of God's wrath. And so I pray that you'll take that prophetical aspect of Jesus that still has to be fulfilled seriously because it has direct um, implications in your life. All right, secondly, why Jesus came. You can turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Jesus came to declare truth. Jesus came to declare truth. John chapter 18 and verse 37. John 18, 37. It says, hmm. Now this is where Jesus is standing before Pilate. He's being tried, whether he's to be crucified. Verse 37 says, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest, I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Jesus came to bear witness, to declare the truth. And if you're familiar with John chapter 14, 6, Jesus does not say He's just declaring the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. And He declares the truth. Which essentially means that He's not a truth. He is the truth. There is no, I want to say, moral, spiritual truth that exists outside of Jesus Christ. Everything that is true morally, everything that is true spiritually, has its origin in Jesus. In other words, there is no truth that can be fabricated and attributed to Jesus. Then it's a falsehood. Everything comes from Jesus. Everything that is true. I'm talking about revealed truth. I'm not talking about the grass is green. I can see that. that that's, I don't need revelation for that. But everything that I need a, a, a supernatural understanding about, morals, 
structures in the world or um, spiritual truths about salvation. I need Jesus Christ for all of that. What I find interesting in Scripture is that if I were to ask you what's the opposite of truth, you would probably say falsehood or something in that direction, right? No, I agree. But when you, we'll have a look at it. Have a look at it. John chapter, ah, John, uh, Romans chapter 2. The Bible speaks of the opposite of truth as unrighteousness, which I find interesting. It makes sense because it is not right and what is true is right, but that the Bible uses unrighteousness as the opposite of truth, I find quite interesting. Have a look at John chapter, ah, John, Romans. Romans chapter 2. Please don't look at John 2. Um, Romans chapter 2, um, verse 6. It says, Who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for the glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Have a look at Romans chapter 1, verse 18 as well, while you're there. It says, Romans 1, 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Truth and unrighteousness, which, mean, which leads me to say that truth is associated with righteousness and falsehood is associated with unrighteousness. Now, why is this important? Um, the reason I think this is important is because, if you think about it, how are you made spiritually righteous? How are you made right before God, justified? Right? It is by believing the truth of the gospel. It is faith in that truth that makes you righteous before God. That gift of grace that's been extended. That is what gives us our righteousness spiritually. But how are we made physically righteous? Now, when I say physically righteous, I don't mean faultless. I mean, how are you made more to be like Christ? How are you conformed to the image of Christ? It is through truth. John chapter 17, verse 17 says, Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. So your sanctification, your Christ-likeness comes from the truth. Not just your salvation is through the truth of who Jesus Christ is, but so is your sanctification by living that sanctified life. Truth is necessary for life. There is no life eternal without the truth of Jesus Christ. That is how necessary it is. But also, there is no life that is experiencing the abundant joy and pleasure of Christ without that truth. If you live a Christian life, Christian life, what that consists of, I was saved on this day, I accepted Christ as my Savior, and since then, it's sort of just been shaky, nothing really no substance to it. It's because there's a lack of truth. You're not being sanctified. You're not being made more like Christ because you are not spending time in His Word. And His Word is not flushing through you and renewing your mind so that you do not conform to this world. 
You need that truth to wash through you, to make you more like Christ, that you can actually live a fulfilled Christian life that has meaning and eternal value. And that is why Jesus bringing truth is so important. So the question is, do you have Jesus? Because if you do not have Jesus, you do not have truth. And if you have Jesus, are you seeking these things that point out who He is? What is truth? That's exactly, we didn't read that now, but I just realized the very next verse in John chapter 18 is Pilate asking Jesus, what is truth? Now Jesus never answers him, but we know in John 14, 6 that Jesus says, I am the truth. And so are you seeking to know Jesus more so that His truth can guide you in the way that you live your life? Thirdly, you can turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, I think 37. Nope, 34. Matthew 10, 34. Jesus came to bring a sword. Matthew 10, verse 34. Let's read together. It says, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. You know, when that, when that reverend said, Jesus came to bring peace on this earth, immediately to my mind, I almost wanted to stand up. <laughs> I didn't. But I almost wanted to stand up and say, Jesus said, think not that I am come to bring peace on this earth, but a sword. Now, he goes on to speak in the same context. He says, I am come to set man at variance against his father and daughter against the mother and daughter-in-law um, against her mother-in-law. In Luke chapter 12, verse 51, we read that Jesus saying, Suppose you that I am come to give peace on earth? He says, I tell you, nay, but rather division. Now, this is not often preached about. Jesus did not come to bring peace, but a sword, but division. Now, doesn't the Bible also say that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? He does. Doesn't the Bible also say that in Romans chapter 5 that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ? So, here we have Jesus did not come to bring peace, but then we also have Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus brings peace between us and God. So are they contradicting one another or are we missing something? When it speaks about Jesus came to bring peace, oh, not peace, but the, a dividing sword, think about, for example, truth that we just spoke about. If I say something that is scripturally true and sound according to what Jesus said, and someone else does not want to hear that, or it is of offense to them, or it, is, um, it rubs them the wrong way, or that's not their religion, or whatever, it divides. If you grow up in a Muslim home and you come to salvation, you are literally excommunicated. In fact, depending on where you live, you could be killed. That's quite divisive. Think about Jesus. Was he loved by all people? 
I think the fact that he was crucified probably, <laughs> you know, um, speaks to the opposite. So if you are going to stake, take a stand for truth and proclaim it boldly, whether you, if you look at the, the deaths of the disciples, look at Jesus' life, look at anyone throughout history who took a bold stand for what the Bible says, it causes division. Now, is the purpose to cause division? No. Did Jesus come because he wanted people to be divided? No. He wants to bring us to God. He wants to create that peace between God and man. He wants to, and he will one day be that Prince of Peace. But as long as truth is proclaimed, there will be people who do not want to hear it. In John chapter 1, it speaks about the light came into the world, but men love darkness more than light. So they rejected the light. Jesus was rejected by his own people. He caused division amongst the Jews because he was telling them something that they did not agree with. And so wherever truth is preached, there will be division, although it not be the intent. And so I think that what we need to take from that is, is yes, you should be preaching and teaching God's word to other people. And you should not be doing it to divide. And what you say should not divide because you're saying it or the way you're saying it, but because of the truth of the matter. And so as long as you're speaking truth, expect division. But don't try and create division. That's not what we're here to do. But if we speak the truth, it will divide. When I, when I thought about truth, when I thought about it dividing, I th immediately thought of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so if you open God's word, that's where you find truth, by the way. It's not something you fabricate. You open God's word, and then you hold it as a sword. And then it says it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, if you take that to someone and show them the law <laughs> and show them what God expects, it's going to cut. And so people have one of two choices. They either respond to it, right, or they reject it. But either way, it, it, it's a line. <laughs> you're either falling on that side of it, I believe it, or you're falling on that side of it, where I don't believe it. But it's still the line. And so truth will divide. Now, what do you do practically about this? In Romans chapter 12, it says that we are to live peaceably with all men as far as it is possible. The Bible also says there in Romans 12 that God will avenge. Avenge not yourselves. Give place to God to execute His wrath. So what do we do? We say, this is what God says, and I will stand on this. This is my line. And I am going to share that with other people so that I don't I'm not divided with them so that they are not divided with God, more importantly, but that the truth can reconcile them to God, which is what Romans 5 says. We are at peace with God because of Jesus Christ. And so in order to create peace between man and God, Jesus Christ needs to be that bridge. And sometimes you will offer that bridge and people will not want it. But we offer that bridge. We want peace. That is what we want. But at the end of the day, 
we cannot force peace. Try be a peacemaker, but do not expect it. Speak the truth. You know, I, I actually, yesterday or the day before, I heard a study where people said, now they were saying this to try and discourage people from evangelizing, but this secular study said that evidence shows that people who evangelize are less liked in society. <laughs> and I thought to myself, whoa, <laughs> I didn't know that, right? Um, but so people who do not evangelize, or people who do evangelize are less liked in society. So they went to the statistics and they tried to say, you shouldn't do this because, you know, you push people away. Or um, they said also your success rate is very low. They, they said 19% um, of people want to have a follow-up conversation after hearing the gospel. And um, I thought to myself, those are actually pretty good odds. <laughs> If two out of every ten people want to hear more a second time, that, that doesn't so much discourage me. That actually is better than I've personally experienced. <laughs> so maybe I've had a bad sample rate or, you know, sample <laughs> what proof of whatever sample. So, um, yeah, so anyways, I, I think we know that it will rub people the wrong way. But we are, we are not here to, to try and be those people that are spoken about in Second Timothy who have itching ears and we just want to scratch the itching ears. No, we want to proclaim the truth. We want to keep to sound doctrine. And if we have a 2 out of 10 success rate, I think that is, that is a good enough success rate. I think that's better than a salesperson's success rate. I don't know. I don't know sales statistics, but I think it's better than that. All right, Luke chapter, Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, point number 4. Luke 19. Um, oh, I should give, probably give you a verse. Luke 19, verse 10. Luke 19, verse 10. We see another reason Jesus came. Jesus came to save. Jesus came to save. Luke 19, 10 says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. In Luke chapter 5, verse 32, it says, Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, it goes without saying, but someone needs to be lost before they need to be saved. Um, and I think that's what Jesus is trying to say. You need to understand that you're lost before I can offer you to be saved. In Luke chapter 5, verse 32, it says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And um, I don't know why the Lord gave me this illustration, but while I was thinking about this, I was thinking to myself, does a man ever need directions while he's driving? And um, generally, yes, but no, he doesn't need. So... And I thought to myself, it's only when I decide that, okay, I'm really lost now, or I'm going to be really lost now, very soon, that I will say, okay, maybe I should stop and ask or find some directions. It's only when you admit you're lost, I don't know where I am, that you're willing to reach out, ask. And so the point is, Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous. I came not 
help the guy who thinks he knows exactly what he's doing and where he's going. That's what the Pharisees thought. That's what the religious people of the day of Jesus, I came not to them. I came to those sinners to call them to repentance. I came to that person who knows he is lost and he's willing to ask for directions. And so Jesus came to seek those lost and hopeless people, those people who were heading for destruction. He came not, he came not to those people who say, I'm okay without Jesus. Right? Now, does Jesus want everyone to repent and come to salvation? Yes. But while you are in that state of, you know what, this may work for you, this is good for you, but I'm fine. That is not who Jesus came to save. And this is where it comes back to the law again. You need to show someone that they have no clue where they are, or if you continue on this road, there's a cliff. You don't have to ask for directions, but there's a cliff, right? You need to explain to them the, the danger of the road that they're on. And the way you do that is to point them to God's contract, the one that God's going to pull up at judgment seat and said, this, 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 this. You knew it was wrong. That's what Romans 2 actually says. Even for those who do not have a law, they are a law unto themselves. You know what is right and wrong, irrespective of whether you know the Ten Commandments. Ask anyone, do you know the Ten Commandments? Mm, no, not really. Is it right to lie? No. Okay. There's a law written in your heart, given by God. Even if you were to be judged by your own standard, you would be guilty. And so God's going to draw up that contract. You're going to look at it and you're going to know you're guilty. And so what we want to do is preemptively point people to that law and to say, you have fallen short. You have not lived up to God's standard. But Jesus has fulfilled the law. Jesus has fulfilled that law. So have you come to that point where you realize your need for Jesus as Savior? That is why Jesus came. But if you have come to that point, do you realize that any growth comes from the same heart, that humble heart that admits their state of lostness? That's the same heart that results in growth. You can't be at the point where you say, I'm a sinner, I need Jesus to save me, I can't save myself without Christ. And then think you're going to grow with the thought that, oh, now I'm good, I'm fine, I don't need Jesus. I've got Jesus, He saved me. That's not, that's not how you get growth. You get growth by understanding your continued need to be more like Jesus. To see the truth in Scripture revealed and say, I do not line up with that. It's that mirror in James chapter 1, right? You look at that Word of God, you look at the mirror and you see there's something wrong with His face. <laughs> it needs help. And so you look at it and God points it out and you fix it. You work on it. You add this. You take away that. God is working in you. But it's by the truth of God's Word. And so that same humble heart that, that, that helped you to come to the point where you realize your guilt is the same humble heart that's required for any growth through Jesus Christ in your life. God, I cannot do this without you. I need you to help me. I need to be more like Christ. Show me what I need to change. It's that same attitude. And so I think that same point of humility is incredibly important 
where, where Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Don't think yourself righteous. Everything that you have, that you are, is because of who God is. He has given you, has helped you to attain. So give the glory where it's due and try and walk in that same humble heart in which you were saved. Last one, John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, John 10 verse 10, he says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that you may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, you may think, ah, this is where the physical prosperity message finally, finally comes in. God is going to bless you and give you everything that your heart desires. Um, no, this is not what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 10. He's not talking about the new car and the increased salary or anything like that. You can have a look at what he's talking about. Have a look at verse, um, verse 3. It says, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he, is, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and he leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Jesus is talking about these people who need to, well, in verse 9, he says, I, uh, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is talking about people who need to be sh shaved. <laughs> well, we're talking about sheep, so. <laughs> people who need to be saved. People who need to be saved. People who need to find their, their pasture. He's talking about Jesus leading them. They hear his voice. They follow his voice. They they reject the voices of strangers. They follow Christ. It's talking about a life that is centered around following Jesus Christ. Christ at the center. Christ the shepherd. I'm the sheep. I follow. I go where he leads. I reject those who oppose what he preaches. And I follow Jesus Christ with my whole life. So when we read about this abundant life, it comes from that very context. It comes from this context where we want to live a Christ-centered life and fellowship with our Savior, where we enjoy the benefits of salvation. In Ephesians chapter 1, it speaks about how we have been blessed with all spirit, spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. All these heavenly, eternal spiritual blessings have been made our part in Christ Jesus. A.W. Tozer said, Salvation is not just about going to heaven. Certainly our destination is heaven, but our salvation has afforded us a relationship with God and it is personal and intimate right now. This life already, it is that personal intimate relationship with God. In John chapter 17 verse 3, 
Jesus says, and this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So how do you have that, that eternal, that, that life eternal, that, that vibrant life, that, that life that is a personal, intimate fellowship with God? That is the abundant life. It is knowing God. So this leads me to say that the abundant life is a God-centered life concerned with increased knowledge of God. It is a God-centered life that is concerned with, I want to know more about God. And as you know more about God, as you grow closer to God, your view of eternal things become greater, things that are important to God becomes greater, and things that are temporal and fleeting of this earth become of lesser importance. That's why in Colossians 3 we are told to set our affections on things above and not on things on the earth. Jesus says, you're on the earth moth and rust and all these things, they just corrupt what we have. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where these treasures are not corrupted. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, As it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. There is a great eternal hope. There is a great joy that comes from knowing you are at peace with God. That Jesus has reconciled your eternal soul that has should be damned because of sin, has been reconciled to God and peace has been made between you and God. And that from the day you're saved, that relationship, that fellowship can start. And it's not something that is reserved one day in heaven. It's something that starts the day you get to know Jesus Christ. And that comes with joy. That comes with a hope. That comes when, when this life is not at peace, you have peace. Not that you're not a victim of the same things that go on, but inside of you it doesn't shake the foundation who is Jesus Christ. And so there's that eternal hope and peace and joy and experience of God, God's grace. And that is this abundant life, this deeper knowledge of God, the pursuit of things of eternal value leads to this abundance of joy and peace and hope and purpose in this life. And the more you rest in God's control, the things of this world, the things that are volatile grow of less importance. You see, if, if, if your entire foundation of your, or if your entire um, understanding of what life is about or what peace is, is based on how well things are going in this world, as soon as something changes, as soon as COVID comes or whatever happens, it, it shakes it. But if that is not, has nothing to do with your foundation, then you have peace, joy, hope, all of that amidst the unpeace. <laughs> What's unpeace? What's the opposite of peace? Chaos, turmoil, whatever. Amidst the chaos of the world, you have peace. And that is that abundant life. It's a life that is not shaken by the things of this world because it's a life that's focused on God and a future where things are made right and where perfect justice is and where Christ rules and reigns. And that is that abundant life. Now, in closing, I want to bring these thoughts together by saying Jesus came to give us an example. 1 Peter 2 verse 21 it says, For even hereunto are you called, 
Listen, this is what you are called unto. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps. Now, this context is speaking about suffering specifically. So even in your suffering, you can follow in Christ's steps and how He handled that suffering. How He was shaken. He was not shaken despite all of that. When He was reviled, He reviled not again. But in that, in that same verse it says, But He committed Himself to Him who judges righteously. He said, I am not shaken by this because I know God is the final judge. Now, a lot of people abuse that thought to say, only God can judge me. And to such a person who, because it's usually people who are far from God, <laughs> who say, only God can judge me, don't judge me. I want to say to those people, you should be thankful that someone is trying to judge you by God's law. Because if you are judged by God's law, now you can make right with Him and one day you don't have to be judged by God. But if you opt out <laughs> and say, I'll take my judgment with God, you've definitely taken the, the worst hand. So, Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps. So, we see what His steps are. We see what He came to do. We see what His intent was with coming to this earth. Now let me ask you, do you live a life that is concerned with God's will? Jesus said, I came not to do my will, but the will of Him that sent me. Is that the way you go through this life? Are you concerned with God's will for your life? What does God expect of me? Do you live a life that is seeking and saving the lost? Like Jesus came to seek and to save those which are lost. Do you have a heart that wants to reach to people and say, this is what Jesus came to do. I need, I want you to be saved. Do you have that same drive that Jesus had to seek and to save the lost? Jesus came to speak truth. Do you speak truth? Are your ideas, are your, I want to say, the way you think about life, the way you view certain things, are they centered around the truth of Jesus Christ? Or do you have a bunch of ideas that are completely disjointed from what Jesus came to say, what Jesus came to do? So we need to check ourselves and say, this is what God says. This is what He says is true. Are my religious and moral convictions the same as Jesus's? Do I see life the same way Jesus did? Am I concerned about truth or am I sort of just going, ah, what will be, will be? Or do you say actually, no, Lord, help me think more biblically. Because from that, you can do more biblically. So are you concerned with what God has said so that you can actually implement it in your life? Also, do you live a life that seeks peace but is willing to create division when it comes to truth? You seek peace, but you seek a greater peace than chumi chumi. <laughs> you seek a peace that is greater, and that peace is one that reconciles God, the righteous judge, to a fallen sinner. And that is the peace that you seek, even if it means the peace relationally may temporarily, temporarily be disrupted. 
Are you seeking that same peace Jesus came to seek? And do you experience the abundant life? Is, is that something that is part of your life? Do you feel unshaken when life shakes? Can you stand knowing that whether it's an injustice that was done towards you, knowing that God is the righteous judge and He will avenge, I'm not going to take vengeance, but rather I will love those who persecute me. I will bless those who curse me. Is that the type of life that you live? Do you experience that, that joy, that eternal hope that Jesus came to give? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this, this time we could spend in your word. Well, thank you that you, you didn't make us wonder why you came. <laughs> Lord, you told us clearly, even all we need to do is seek it out, Lord. And um, I thank you, Lord, that you helped us to, to seek this out, that you um, revealed this to us this morning. Lord, help us to live lives that are in sync, Lord, with your heart. We want to have lives that fulfill that, that the reason you came, Lord, to, 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 to live in truth and to, to make peace where possible, but to reconcile people to God. Lord, we want to live this life that is centered around you, this abundant life. And so, Lord, I pray for those here this morning who may not be saved, who have not come to the point where they accept Christ as their Savior because of an overwhelming understanding of the guilt of their sin. Lord, please, please save them. If they call upon you, Lord, you say that you will save. You are ready to save, Lord. You don't want anyone to perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Lord, I pray that you would please reach out to that person this morning, that they may be saved. But to those of us who, who are saved, profess to be saved, Lord, may we make sure that our desires line up with, with yours. Um, we want to do your will, Lord. Um, we want to make a difference, and Lord, we want to be more like Christ. And the only way that is possible, Lord, is... If our minds are renewed daily through your, through your word, Lord, please come help us with that. Please come guide us. Please bless the rest of this day, Lord. Thank you so much for meeting with us. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Lord, help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.